Welcome to the Media Timeout Podcast. Let's be great. Let's be great. You're home for the sports content you want with the authenticity you need. Let's have some fun out here. You know, enjoy the journey of all this. We're trying to get 16 wins and going after a gold trophy. Where nothing is out of bounds. Now welcome your hosts, Jamal Tanner and Nick Holman. Hello and welcome to the MTO Podcast. This is episode 88 keep it going we got the michael Irvin edition marvin harrison a couple of studs 88 uh, we're gonna talk a lot of football but we're gonna sprinkle in some other sports we got some things going back on now with um the nba getting its preseason and mlb uh there's a lot of news there so we're gonna make sure we touch on that but let's start with college football um we had just anointed georgia as the odds-on favorite and then two weeks in a row they looked a little shaky so my question to you are you worried at all about Georgia going forward? I mean, I am and I'm not, but my worries have been the same worries all all along. It's the QB position, right? It's Stetson Bennett. And, you know, we kind of, we put those, you know, questions to bed when they won a national championship and he played well. But when this team struggles and has close games, it's because the offense isn't scoring points, right? Like, you know, the defense is always going to show up. Always going to pretty much hold teams in check. Um, teams, you know, might get a play here and there. It's college football. It happens, but nobody's going to really put up points on this Georgia defense. So when you're looking at this team, it's always going to be the offense. That's going to be the question mark. Are they going to have a great game? Is this a Bennett going to be able to make enough plays for this Georgia team to win or, you know, you know, win by a good enough margin or not have these games be close. So I think when you're looking at Georgia, they're going to be in every game because the defense is so great. And with the offensive talent that they have, they are going to, you know, beat most of these teams. But if teams talent is pretty, you know, even on if the other team has a good defense, then they, you know, struggle to put up points. So, yeah, it's still the same. But I think we we didn't ask the questions because, you know, oh, well, they won and they won with this quarterback. And so we just don't think about it but i think the offense still can be a problem at times for this georgia team but you know until they play alabama or even a tennessee who can put up points i don't think we'll truly know yeah frankly i'm not that concerned i I don't think stetson's a pro i've never really felt like he was a pro i do think he's good enough i honestly think they're just figuring stuff out i don't think they're really playing to their full capacity i think there used to be a running base team and they've kind of been that way for a while they've been churning out running backs in the nfl year after year after year and they really haven't been running the ball that much so i guess what would concern me is if this isn't by choice what it looks like at this point in time because if you look at the amount of carries that they have in in a game they're just not running it often Right now, I think that's by choice, and that's just a decision they're making to kind of work on some stuff. But if I find out that they're just unable to run the ball, and then now you have to rely on Stetson Bennett, then that would be concerning. But I'm not to the point where I think that that's true. I do think they still have quality running backs. I think they still have a quality offensive line. They decided, hey, we're going to just run it down their throat, kind of Michigan style. I think they're able to do that. I don't think they felt challenged enough to where they've had to go that route. So, like you said, when they play against the Tennessee, when they play against some some of the better teams, I would be interested to see 
what their kind of balance looks like between run and pass, I would imagine that you would see a lot more runs, a lot more balance, and then Stetson can do what he's good at, which is kind of like the play-action game, uh, finding open players in that way versus kind of drop back. We know Stetson's going to throw it and him make a play. I don't think that's his game. I think he's much more Ryan Tannehill, so to speak, to whereas, you know, once Derrick Henry's rolling and then you kind of pull it out the belly, that's when Ryan Tannehill's going to hurt you, not when you know he's going to pass it. I think that's kind of Stetson Bennett's game. So I think they'll get more back to that when they're, I guess, concerned about their opponent. Because right now, I just don't think they're actually concerned. I mean, Missouri played a really good game. And, you know, I know you've seen that meme where it's like, they had us in the first half, not going to lie. That was kind of what was there. But at the end of the day, there was never a time when I was like, Missouri's really going to win this game. I was pretty confident. I was like, when's this comeback going to happen? It's taking a little longer than I thought it was going to. And then eventually they just went ahead and did it. Right. So I understand if people have concerns for me, I'm going to wait and see in a game that I think that they're really could potentially be challenged to see how well they play in that game. Another SEC power that has some question marks, um, and that's Alabama. And it's mainly due to the health of their quarterback, Bryce Young. Uh, He went down in the game pretty early that they were pretty much always going to win. Like I'm not that high on Arkansas. I can score points, but they can't stop anybody. Uh, Jalen Milrow came in and looked pretty good as well. But how big of a deal do you think it is, this Bryce Young injury? And do you think this is something that can impact their national championship aspirations? Do you think this is something that will linger? Or is he kind of, do you think it's a minor deal and they just didn't need him so they sat him out for the rest of the game? Yeah, I'm going to go on the minor side. It seems like something Nick Saban's not uh, worried that much about, you know, even though he was pretty, you know, his Nick Saban himself in the press conference getting on reporters about them asking him on his game plan or what he planned on doing. And I, I thought it was kind of funny. Like, why would I tell you exactly what I'm going to do, especially when I have a injured quarterback situation? But, uh, yeah, I mean, they have, uh, what is it, Texas A&M this upcoming week. So Texas A&M can't really score points. I don't think you have to worry that much about them. I think you get uh, honestly run out the backup quarterback if, again if you wanted to. I can't uh, remember my man's name off the top of my head right now, but uh, he looked, you know, he looked good enough for me in that game coming in and uh, running it down uh, down the field. He had that long run that was pretty impressive. I was like, oh, I see why you play for Alabama now. Uh, but uh, yeah, I think you just take it week by week, and they're a team I think can afford to go a week and give Bryce Young some rest. So. I wouldn't be surprised if you don't see him this week and maybe see him uh, the week uh, after that where they go and play Tennessee, which is, you know, a tougher game. So I I can see him not playing this week, giving him a full week to recover from that uh, shoulder injury. A&M already couldn't score, and then I think Max Johnson just got hurt, which possibly could be for the season, so they have to go back to Haynes King. Um, I will say that this seems eerily similar to last year when Texas A&M couldn't score because Zach, everybody was saying Zach Calzada couldn't, isn't a good QB, and then he had the game of his life against A&M. That's not going to happen two, year, two years in a row, so I, I, I'm pretty comfortable in thinking Alabama will win one way or the other. And that's another team that I think can run the ball down your throat if they want to, and they haven't really done that because you have a Bryce Young. So for a week, I think they can give the ball to uh, Gibbs. They can give it to McClellan. Roydell Williams, they got a stable of backs, so if they needed to, I think they could just kind of switch gears and become a run offense, run offense um, for a week and, and provide that week of recovery for, for Bryce Young. So I, I tend to agree um, 
initially I was a little concerned with how demonstrative uh, Bryce Young was after he got hurt because that's a very cool customer. You know, nothing really bothers him, but he seemed really upset. So I was like, oh, is this serious? But sounds like it's day-to-day. I will say in college football, I mean, Jackson Smith and Jigba has been day-to-day for like four weeks now. So I don't think day-to-day means the same thing in college football that it does in the pros. But I'm not currently presently concerned because I feel like it's a very similar situation to where they're kind of letting him rest just because they feel like they have the ability to. Um, Which brings me to my next question. Ohio State still has the same offense that we've expected them to have. They're doing it without their best player in Jackson Smith and Jigba. Um, But that defense is starting to look pretty good. They haven't played great teams, so I'll, I'll give you that. But they've shored up a lot of things on defense. So if the defense turns out to be real, could we be sleeping on Ohio State and could they be the best team in the nation? I'm not sleeping on them because I do think they're one of the best teams in the nation. I think most of I don't know. I think I think if you've watched college football this year, I think this has been one of the most wide open years that we've seen in a while, right? Like you we've already talked about already. Georgia we don't we think it's okay, okay. You know, we think Georgia's good. We know their defense is at. But, you know, questions about can they actually really run the ball? And if you put the, you know, if it's, you have to put it on sets of Bennett's shoulders, can he really do it? Looking at Alabama, okay, Bryce Young. Andrew, now you don't know what that's going to be like going forward. We've seen this defense look, you know, wonky uh, versus Texas. They were getting lit up until Quinn uh, Ewers got hurt. And then you look at Ohio State, they probably are the most complete team at this time when you uh, – seeing the resume this year and seeing how they've played. So I think right now, yeah, we probably have three teams that are in that upper tier, but, and, but we do have other teams below that are good and can maybe get up there. So I think Ohio state's definitely in consideration for one of the better teams, if not the best team in uh, the nation, we'll definitely get some more answers when they play uh, Michigan and Penn state who are pretty uh, decent, probably the better the best two teams they'll see in their conference this year and then on to the playoffs. But I, I really like this Ohio state team. Like you said, not really fully healthy this year. Day to day with every receiver seemingly on the roster is always questionable, but they, they have like four NFL type wide receivers. So they always just keep treading along and uh, NFL caliber QB. So I think Ohio state is going to be there in the end and probably going to be in the national championship game. Uh, if they can stay or I guess get healthy, I should say. Yeah, I think it's a really scary team. They've shown that they can run it down your throat. They've shown, obviously we know that they can pass it. They have the best receiving core in the nation. Um, we talked about last year, we felt like they had a better receiving core than about a third of the NFL. And what's crazy is they lost two receivers to the NFL and they're probably still have a better receiving core than the least five or six teams in the NFL. So with that being said, that offensive line's also been phenomenal. I mean, I think it's quite possible that they could actually be the best team in the nation. So they'll get a big test. I probably think they'll only get one real test, and that's probably Michigan, because I think Michigan is solid. Penn State's solid, but I don't think they can score enough with Ohio State. I don't see... Ohio State's pretty much guaranteed a 30 spot any week that they play. So is Penn State scoring 30? I don't know about that. So I think they'll get a a run for their money with Michigan. I think we'll see kind of 
especially with the fact that they lost last year to Michigan. I think that'll be a great game to anticipate. But as of right now, from what we've seen, I think there's a real. I mean, I mean, I think there's a real argument to be made that they're the best team in the nation. So uh, we just, like I said, two weeks ago, we took Georgia over the field. But it's, it's crazy what 14 days can do because I'm definitely not ready to do that anymore. If I had to take, I think right now, if you pressed me and made me pick the best team in the nation. I'd probably say Ohio State as of right now. That's kind of where I'm at. That'll probably change next week, but that's where I'm at right now. So I got a, a question for you that we didn't put on here before the pod. You got a prediction for the uh, Red River shootout this weekend, Texas OU? This is I, this is the first time I can at least remember that neither team is ranked. It's it's weird. I can't remember the last time that's happened, but uh, you got a prediction for that game this weekend? I know a lot of points. That's what I see. Yeah, shootout is definitely the operative word. I don't know the health of Dylan Gabriel. I think that matters a lot because when uh, I think his last name is Bevel or Belleville or something like that, I didn't take the time to learn it because he wasn't good. I didn't like it. I didn't like what I saw. So, you know, if Dylan Gabriel don't play, that's going to get out of hand quick, fast, in a hurry. Like, I know that much. Uh, I probably got Texas one way or the other. I think Texas is the better team. I think if one team's going to get stops, it's going to be Texas. But if Dylan Gabriel plays and is healthy, I think we got a, another really good game. That 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 rivalry seems like it's always a good game and comes down to the end. But without G- Gabriel, it will not come down to the end. It'll be some. There will be a kneel for sure and some backups playing because Bevel did not look good at all. Maybe they go a different direction and because they I know they have a freshman quarterback that uh, was a five star recruit. I can't think of his name. Maybe they just give him a run. Let him throw him out there. If Gabriel can't play, and then we'll I'll wait and see. But one way or the other, this is a very long-winded way to say it, but I got Texas winning that game. I just think they're the better team. Yeah, I, I agree. Uh, I when I was shocked when I saw the line at minus seven Texas. I was like, damn, I can't remember the line was that big for Texas like or OU in a game like this. So that just shows you uh, what Vegas feels about OU's defense, I would say, more than anything, especially – after getting cooked the way it got cooked by TCU. I think everybody was shocked at the way that went down, especially when you hire a DC as your coach, which I tell you never to do. But uh, anyway, y'all want to go that route. So, yeah, man, uh, I yeah, if Gabriel doesn't go, it's, it's going – shit got bad real quick, basically, is what it's going to be. So we'll, we'll see who suits up for OU at QB this weekend. One thing I find very interesting about this weekend, this is why I love college football, is that we have OU Texas – but technically, the biggest game in the Big 12 right now is Kansas versus TCU. And that's what I love about college football is you never know what the hell is going to happen. We have undefeated TCU versus undefeated Kansas. And that should be in a very interesting game, even though it's not the names that we're used to hearing. Um, I'm sure OU Texas will definitely um, have more viewers watching because it's just the bigger names. But it's just kind of crazy that the fight for number one in the big 12 is it's gonna be in and i think it's in kansas kansas has game day this week which who the hell thought that kansas would get a football game day at the beginning of the season so uh that's why i love college football is because this that and college basketball is the only sport where you have these kind of random teams that will have a good run and who knows by the end of the year kansas might end up being four and six or something like that but as of right now we're looking at a an undefeated Kansas team that has college game day there for the biggest game of the 
Big 12 season, which is just a wild thing to say out loud because I would have never guessed that going into it. All right, so let's transition to the NFL. Um, we got a lot of stuff to talk about, but let's. The first thing I would like to do is I want to review the picks for last week, but I want to make sure that we say this out loud. I will accept my record for year to date, but I want to make a change in this really quick. I would like to wait to make my predictions for for the week that is coming until Saturday because this week in particular, I feel like there was a couple of games that I would have changed had I been privy to injury information um, that I'm not so privy to early in the week. So we're going to review last week's picks and then we will post on social media our picks on Saturday so that we have better information so that I can make more informed decisions. But let's go ahead. You got the papers. Tell us where we went, where we went well and where we went wrong for last week. All right. Week four in the NFL. Um, not a bad week for us. A good, good, good week. I like it. Uh, I went 12 and four. You went 10 and six. Like you said, some information later in the week probably could have helped us do even better, but we'll start getting those picks out later and getting a little better at it. Um, one of those was the Lions uh, versus Seahawks. Lions ended up not having uh, all their weapons, you know, no Swift, no uh, Amon St. Brown. Hawkinson still went off. Goff still went off, but you know, Lions didn't pull through. Colts we both missed on. Probably we're going to end our belief in the Colts starting with this week, I would assume, also. I think we're done believing in them. Um, another game, you had gotten Pittsburgh uh, wrong. I got the Jets right. I think uh, them switching QBs now, we'll get into that, but I think we'll probably be off Pittsburgh uh, also. Um, you got the Bills right. I got the Ravens wrong. That was a, a good little game, a, a game that, you know, we could go either way, you know. Uh, another one was um, – Let's see here. The Browns for you uh, was another game that, I mean, it was Browns-Falcons. You should have went with your team. Come on now, Jamal. You got to go with your team. You got to ride with a ride or die. But um, So that was pretty much our week. Solid week, like you said. But going forward, definitely going to pick uh, the games at the later date so we can uh, get a little bit better uh, handle on who's going to be playing, who's not going to be playing. And then the Dolphins, of course, with uh, the Tua injury, another thing we'll get into talking about this week's games was another one that you had gotten wrong for the week. But uh, like you said, though, 10-6, 12-4, pretty good for picking it ahead of time and not knowing injuries. Yeah, absolutely. Um, we will pick the Thursday night game because, well, we're actually doing this on a Thursday, so I think we have all the latest information that we can get. Um, but we'll do the Thursday night game on the podcast, and then the other games we'll um, – add to the to the social media for sure so at the end of this nfl segment we'll definitely make sure we pick that game um we talked about last thursday night's game and that was tua i want to talk about this a little bit i know it's kind of been covered at nauseum so i don't want to cover it from the same angles um that everybody else has because that's already been kind of done uh, my question to you because he's already been ruled out for week five do you think at this point Tua is going to be handled more with the idea of public perception rather than health. Um, Do you think that's kind of what's going to drive these decisions going forward? Because the Dolphins really aren't a team that can afford a lot of more bad publicity. Started with the Brian Flores stuff, and then now with this Tua thing. Do you think they're going to handle it with more care from a doctor standpoint, a medical standpoint? Or do you think this is all going to be a damage control um, PR type of moves as far as making sure that 
their handling tool with kick gloves going forward? I hate to be on the fence, but I think it has to be a little bit of both, right? I think you, to the doctor's standpoint, I'll go further. I think you have to go above and beyond to make sure he's okay before he ever gets on the field. Like, you need to double, triple, like quadruple check. Like, you need to make sure that if he does play again, especially for the Dolphins, that, like, he is A-OK. You cannot, after us seeing what happened Sunday and us being like, man, he probably should be at least done for the game, right? And then him coming back in, and then that happening Thursday that we saw, like, there's just no benefit of the doubt anymore with you guys. Like, we can't trust you guys. Like, I'm not a doctor. I may play one on TV, but, you know, I watching that game on Sunday, he was he had a concussion, right? Like, you saw, you saw it. He got hit. He got up, stumbled, went back down. It, he went out. Like, you shouldn't have been back in that game. And to come back in that game, and thankfully didn't get hurt that game, but then to play Thursday when you for sure, I mean – I'm not, you know, like I said, not a doctor, but I'm pretty sure you had a concussion Sunday and then play Thursday and then see that happen. Like, that for, let me know that you for sure had a concussion. Like, so I think from the doc standpoint, the Dolphins have to be on, like, you know, they have to know for sure when the next time they put him on the field that he can, he is okay and can maybe even take a hit. And even then, I'm still not even sure it's the safest thing for him. And then from, uh, the PR standpoint or whatever, like, you just, I don't know. I think it's this all tricky situation for them. And they're just, the Dolphins aren't going to get the benefit of the doubt because, like you said, the Brian Flores stuff, the shady stuff that they, they tried to do with Tom Brady and Sean Payton and then this stuff. Like, I just don't know how they ever kind of recover. I just don't think they're ever going to be believed, honestly. So I think it's no win-win. And, they should probably honestly just let Tua not play the rest of this year and just kind of get as far away from the situation as possible. And then maybe then that's how you kind of get back into the fold as an organization. Yeah, I just think it's really interesting after they said they trust their doctors and what's going to happen and they believed in it. They fired a guy and then ruled him out before he even had a chance to go through all the concussion protocol. So I'm like, at this point, I think, don't get me wrong, I want to be very clear. It is the right decision for him not to play this week. I'm not in any way contesting that. But the fact that they were so adamant that they had handled everything correctly in the news, and then right after being adamant that they did it all right, they fire a guy and then rule him out without even going through concussion protocol. They're just like, you know what, we're going to preemptively say he's out seems like you're talking out of both sides of your mouth like your actions are speaking louder than your words at that point in time so that's kind of what made me think about whether or not this is now pr type of stuff to where they're trying to do damage control versus actually caring for tua and his health now even if your motivations are ulterior it doesn't mean that you're not still doing the right thing and i think that can be true but both can be true you can have different motivations but still it's in tua's best interest so, I don't know. It's just I just find it to be really interesting the way this is handled and some of the things that that come about. And you had brought something up as far as them firing um, the doctor, and I'm we were led to believe, or the way it's phrased is that this doctor is an independent doctor, but it doesn't make sense to me for the Dolphins to be able to fire somebody who's independent because theoretically that means they hired him. Which is he really independent if I am paying him? Like if, if I paying if I'm paying this doctor 
can you really say he's from an outside source? Like, even if it's only a temporary thing in this moment in time, I'm still his employer. So it's weird to me that the team would pay for a quote unquote independent doctor. You would think the NFLPA would do that, or maybe you give a player a stipend and he chooses his own doctor and then that money is used for the doctor or something. But it's weird to me, and you had brought it up first, um, that the Dolphins were able to fire an independent doctor. That doesn't seem like that makes a lot of sense. So I think it'll be interesting to kind of watch how the next scenario was handled. Um, for some of these little details, like, will will the team be hiring these? Because like, that's something to me that could very easily be changed from an optic standpoint to make it really feel like it's independent because we've been using the word independent is to somebody else pay for it, whether it's the NFL or the NFLPA. That would make it feel more independent if the the money was never exchanged from that organization in and of itself. So I just find it to be really interesting. I hope Tua is able to kind of play again. I know the concussion, uh, the, the, the guy who's kind of gets a lot of credit for CTE research, the dude that Will Smith played um, in that movie and what it was based on, he kind of came out and said Tua should retire immediately. Um, I find that to be a little alarming. The guy was kind of right about a lot of stuff. So part of me is like, you know, should he heed this advice? I don't have the information for it, but I'm hoping one way or the other, Tua is able to remain healthy and finds joy in whatever. If he's playing football, then hopefully he's able to do it uh, relatively unscathed. Obviously, there's probably going to be some sort of residual impact from all the things that come with football, but hopefully he's able to kind of live a life going forward. And then if he decides to, you know, just hang it up, which doesn't sound like there's any indication that he's actually going to do that, hopefully he's able to find joy in some other things. So, um, just a really interesting situation and one that I will be watching closely um, because I find this whole, the whole CTE conversation I find to be really fascinating because we obviously talk about it at the NFL level a lot because those are the people with notoriety. But at some point I kind of have to wonder is how many people that played just high school football or just college football at some lower level are walking around with CTE and being aggressive adults that um, were not reviewing them based on their behaviors without the full information. Because to my understanding, if you're played D2 college football, no one's ever going to check your brain to see if you had CTE, you know, like that's not going to ever come across anybody's mind. Cause we only think about it within the context of the NFL. So, the more we learn, I think the scarier the whole thing is going to get and the more football is going to be in the topical conversation of if it should even be played. But that's kind of me going off into a tangent. So I'll get back on to the NFL and we'll just go ahead and switch gears all the way to the Steelers and what's going on with their quarterback situa- situation. So they finally made the switch to Kenny Pickett. I think losing to the Jets will do that to you. Um, Pickett's first throw, I believe, was an interception. I think he threw... He he didn't look great, but he also kind of came in in relief. That's not something that we generally do as quarterbacks. So what do you think of the decision, and what do you think of Kenny Kenny Pickett's outlook going forward? About damn time. I've been telling... Like, this is... What I've been telling the Steelers to do is, like, rip off the Band-Aid. Stop with this. Like, stop playing Trubisky. Stop playing the small ball. Like, 
you drafted this dude for a reason, right? Like the dude played in pit. You needed a young team. Like put him in there, man. Like give this, uh, especially if you're not going to be a good team, because I think we both can agree this isn't a good team. Like this is probably one of the worst teams in the NFL and probably will be this year. Like this is going to be Tomlin's first losing season and it's going to be a shrug. So I think if you're not going to be a good team, give the fans at least something to look for like look forward to you know so throw the young dude out there he got decent weapons you got at least a decent running back the line's not that great but you know it, it is what it is at this point so let him go out there and sling it man see what you because to me the one thing i was looking at because i had asked you I was like is it maybe about time for the steelers to maybe trade claypool but at least now with Pickett, you can see what you maybe have in claypool because you weren't going to see what you have with trubisky he just wasn't going to get the ball downfield enough for you to get a good look. And now I feel like you can at least get a, a good look on that to know what future he has with the team. And it's just, to me, it's the right thing to do. Like, I, I can see the Steelers were like, oh, let's try to get past a certain point of the schedule where we're not having to play this team, this team, and this team. But the way the outlook was looking, you get by that, you were going to be a, like a real bad team. And it, it was just no point. If you if Trubisky was going to play like a rookie, then you might as well play the rookie. So... I'm glad the Steelers finally figured that out, made the move, and now going forward, you can see what you got, and he can, you know, actually get game experience. Because I think, you know, not everybody needs to sit for a year to be their best. You know, you can do it both ways. You know what I mean? Like you can do it the sit a year way, and you can do it the play right away way. And I think if there's not, if you're not going to be a good team with a decent quarterback in front of you, then you got to go this way. You got to let them play. Get his bumps and bruises and figure it out. So I'm glad this I'm glad the Steelers are finally doing that. I think it's time to play him. You alluded to potentially trading Claypool and not necessarily having to anymore, but I would argue that they're probably in the situation to where they might should just blow it up, right? They just I'm pretty sure they just read up TJ Watt. I don't think the rebuild will take that long because I think that defense when it's healthy is solid, right? TJ Watt being out matters. But you know, with Minka Fitzpatrick and TJ Watt, I don't think they, I think this is a one year, two year rebuild. If you decide to just go ahead and rebuild, if you try to patch, if you try to patch the boat up, I think you're still going to leak some water, but if they trade Claypool and try to get some draft picks, trade Deontay Johnson, try to get some draft picks and then just run with, you know, you got pickings. They just, they drafted a, another kid. He's, he's hurt right now. His name is Calvin Austin. He was a, a kind of a jitterbug out of Memphis that, could be a really good slot once he's healthy. You develop him, and then you take some of those draft picks and you try to shore up that offensive line. Some of the some of the money saved, you go try to protect Kenny Pickett because that's going to be your guy. Najee Najee Harris, you're still not paying him yet because this is just year two. So you have a running back of the future. You think you have your quarterback of the future. We've seen what George Pickens can do. He just had a hundred yard game his first time really getting targets, and he goes for over a buck. So. And with the receiver depth that we're seeing in drafts these years, you can probably replace a Claypool or a Deontay Johnson. Obviously, those are really good players, but you can get another solid player. And then in probably year three of Kenny Pickett, you probably have a decent offense again already. TJ Watt's not going anywhere. You just re-upped him. I'm not sure what Minka Fitzpatrick's contract's at, but you know if you have those two, then I think you're going to have a solid defense, and then you're back to trying to compete in that division again. So... My concern is that a place like the Steelers with the tradition they have, I don't think you have the luxury to try to bottom out because that city isn't used to losing and probably won't allow for losing. So sometimes your success can be 
a hindrance to you. Like, you know, the old saying, no good deed goes unpunished. So I think it's hard for an organization like that to tank, so to speak, because the fan base just isn't going to have it. But if they're able to kind of just make the situation anyway and make the decision anyway and just deal with the fact that the fan base is going to boo you every eight games a season for a year, a year and a half, I really think this could be a very quick and rapid rebuild. But I don't think that's the decision they're going to make. I think they're going to try to patch it up and and figure it out. But that offensive line needs more than just a patch. It needs to be fixed. And I'm not sure you can do that by going 7-10 and 10 and getting the 18th, 15th pick in the draft. And then you're trying to pay Claypool and you're trying to pay Deontay Johnson and keep all these people. I'm not sure you're going to really be able to address the offensive line the way that you need to. Um, unless you sacrifice some of these skill position players that are good. I'm not saying they're not good, but I think can be replaced and sure up the bigger issue, which is that offensive line play. So that's my opinion on that, which actually leads me to my next question that I would like to ask you. We've talked about a lot of teams that are recently have been in the cellar, but we like the trajectory. Um, that's a word that I probably should never try to say because I don't think I ever do it right. Uh, trajectory, like the Jaguars, even Detroit, hell, even the Seahawks, I think if they get, I mean, Gino's been playing very admirably. I don't think he's a long-term solution, but I like the way they're kind of trending. So we have a lot of these teams that are, have been traditionally in the basement, the cellar, whatever you want to call it, that are on the rise. So my question to you is, what team do you think is going to be in the other direction and be kind of the worst team in the league here in a year or two? Ooh, that's a good question. It's funny, too, because you never think about it that way. You always think of uh, teams going upwards and never a team going backwards. But, um, I mean, I feel like there are some teams already kind of trending down that way, right? Like the Colts, to me, are one of those teams. They're a team that every year is just trying to patch it up with an old or older veteran QB, right? Like it's been, uh, let me see, it's been Matt Ryan now, it's been Rivers, it was, uh, who was it last year? It was um, Wentz. Wentz, it was Wentz last year. Like every year they're patching up and they're not doing the thing that we kind of talk about, which is like, dude, tank it all the way or go to the bottom all the way. Like don't half-ass do this shit where you're just in the middle. So I can see a Colts team being real bad. I mean, either through just being bad or just through having to go that route because they should have went that route probably two years ago and just did it. And then let me see another team here that I can pick out. I mean, I guess the Steelers are already kind of trending that way, but maybe even the Patriots, like what are they doing right now? Like Bill Belichick's a genius, but I mean, are you really a genius with these first round, second round picks or whatever, you know, like Matt Jones, I mean, yeah, Jones, right. I, Man, I'm, I'm all messed up. You're messing me up with names now. I'm messing up. But uh, Mac Jones, uh, what's going on with him? Like, I, I, it's not necessarily him. Is the offense like you lose Josh McDaniels and now you have a guy who's never called play? Well, actually, both guys never called plays. You have one who's a former DC, and the other guy was a special team slash head coach for a while. It are now your offensive coordinator. So, and it's now looking like Mac Jones is taking a step back. He's injured, I know, at the moment, but. So what's going on there? So that's another team where I just don't know of what kind of direction they're going in. I wish they would hire a real offensive coordinator 
slash and a QB coach so they can get their guy on the right track. But if I had to guess, those would be a couple teams that I could definitely not see being good in a couple years. Yeah, I got a very similar list. Um, honestly, maybe the same <laughs> list as you do. I think there's there's one more team that I wanted to add, and I'm drawing a blank. So we're just not going to add anybody because Jamal can't think today. So we'll just uh, move on. So let's go ahead and go to the NBA. We know the teams tank and are, are bad all the time. Um, but we have more reason to be bad this year because um, we watched and we're currently watching the Metropolitans 92, which I'm assuming is a EuroLeague team, uh, specifically in France, against G League Ignite. And we've got the chance to watch Wimbanyama in, well, in America. This is his first time playing in America. And he, they played Tuesday and he was phenomenal. I think he had 37 points. Made seven threes, had five blocks. I think the only nitpicking was they were like, how are you 7-4 and only have four rebounds? And I'm like, no, that's kind of a nitpick, but okay. I mean, I'll allow it. So he comes out today. He's got like 21 at a minimum. I think he has more than that. He had four rebounds in the first quarter. Just to let you guys know, he's like, I could rebound if I want to. Like, you know he heard it. Um Let's start with him because there's another guy I want to talk about on the other team who actually unfortunately did get hurt today. Um, I think it was a precaution, but he, he didn't play in the second half. Um, but let's talk with Wimbayama. Uh, we've had conversations about it. Even LeBron kind of came out and said he's not a unicorn. He's an alien. Um, what were your impressions of this guy and, and what, what, do you, what do you think? I was impressed, man. I really was, and I'm glad they came over here and played because I didn't want to be. I didn't want it to be one of those things where, like, it's always through. I mean, everything's through video because it's you know it's TV. But I didn't want to be one of those highlights from it's always from overseas and it's always a bunch of dudes where you're like, eh, I don't know. So I'm glad they came over here and played, and especially the G League Night team because you got to see, you know, a group of kind of people who are going to be good and you know a couple top prospects and whatnot that we'll get to, but. Yeah, man, I was really impressed. Like, you know, just seeing a guy that big with the skill set of dribbling and shooting, it's just great. Like, I know we have Kevin Durant, but this dude's 7'4". Like, Kevin Durant's not 7'4". You know what I mean? So, it's crazy. And and I feel like the old heads, or at least what I hear from the old heads when they watch a play is like, this is what Ralph Sampson wanted to do, basically, is what they said. It's like, this is what Ralph wanted to play like. He wanted to shoot the long jumpers and handle the ball. So it's crazy to think that I'm sure, you know, guys, the older dudes are like, that's how I wanted to play. They told me I had to get down on the block. Look at this guy. So I think it's I think it's great for basketball that, you know, we're letting these big dudes now do these things and seeing him just be the shot so pure and just, he had a shot today where, like, he was at the top of the three-point line, took, like, two steps off of one dribble, and was in the corner for, like, a fading three. And I was like, you shouldn't be able to do that, let alone do that at 7-4. So, yeah, I'm just really excited for the future of basketball and this guy's future. It's Like you said, like, this is the highest grade since LeBron. So, it's LeBron didn't miss. Those dudes were right on LeBron. So, I'm just real excited to see what this kid can do in the future. 
It's funny you brought up Ralph Sampson because I was talking to my dad about him yesterday, and that's literally the dude he brought up. He was just like, I mean, Ralph Sampson could shoot, but he wasn't doing this. And I'm like, I mean, he, he wasn't allowed to do this back then. You, if you were that big, you had to get in the paint. So if I'm Ralph Sampson and I'm watching this, I'm like, this could have been me. <laughs> just salty as all get out. Um, but yeah, man, it's to me, it's the jumper. That's the thing that I'm just like, okay, like this is different because like obvious the obvious comparison is kind of Chet because Chet just came out last year and you know Chet can shoot but it's different like Wimbayana looks like a shooter not somebody who can shoot it looks like that's what he that might be his best skill you know what I mean like as a basketball player like obviously he can handle the ball shot blocking is probably number one a lot of that has to do with the fact that you're seven foot four that that helps especially as athletic as you are but his jumper looks really nice like some of the moves he makes they don't really like he he has a good handle for his size but he's not really just blowing past people but he's able to elevate and hit tough shots at a pretty young age to be able to do that so that jumper to me is what what separates him and it's funny because we were just talking about him um and you know i remember when i used to play nba live and i used to create a player and you know you would make your dude kind of like basically like that and then i would always go nah let's make it a little more realistic right and when you think about it if you created Wimbayana back then when you created the player that would be the dude that you're like that's not even fair that's not even a real thing like why are you doing that like seven four and can dribble and shoot and dunk like that's not a thing why are you making that player but like here he is in the flesh like i feel vindicated from, the, from my younger self i was like i told you it could happen so like he's a created player like he really is that dude that was that unfair created player that we all like kind of scoffed at and were like, it's not a thing. He's the real thing. And so it's, it's wild to see. Um, and I just hope he stays healthy. Cause obviously with that body, that's the big thing that you have a question about is, can he stay healthy so that we can see this for 10, 15, 20 years? You know, what's funny when you started talking about the creative player, you felt like you were cheating. If you put him above six, eight and could shoot, you were like, ah, you know, like, is that too much? Like you're talking about seven, four, like you felt like you were cheating when you went to six, eight, six, nine. And you were like, okay, he's going to be big. You should be like, all right, put him around like six, five. So that's just funny that you brought that up. Cause I mean, that's realistic. Like now that's a real player and it's, it's real life. And you seeing it in real life is like, dang, this is crazy, but it's awesome to see. So yeah, man, it's, like I said, excited for the future. Yeah, I mean, expanding on that, even in 2K, when you started making a player, they started making it to where when you made him a certain height, his shooting rating would automatically go down. Like, you weren't allowed to make him have a be a good shooter if you made him so tall because of the idea they were like, nah, that's not a thing. And so now 2K's got to go back to the drawing board. Like, I mean, I guess we got to let him be able to shoot because that's a thing now. So it's just crazy to see it. Um, I do want to transition to Scoot Henderson. Uh, because that kid looks special too. Uh, he's just something that we've, from a size standpoint, like it looks like something we've seen before. But the dude is cat quick. He can shoot. He can finish. He hit a like a reverse layup over. I don't know if it was over. Let's say around Wimbayana uh, on Tuesday, and he looks like the real deal too. And I kind of feel bad for the guy because he's getting completely overshadowed. And it's not even unreasonable why. Like, we get it. We just talked about how amazing Wimbayana is. But Scoot Henderson himself deserves to be talked about because he's, he's the real deal. To me, he reminded me a lot of kind of Derrick Rose with that size and athleticism. 
but his jumper is farther along than Derrick Rose's. So talk to me a little bit about Scoot. And I guess the question I want to ask is, in this tankathon that's about to happen, you don't get the first pick, but you get the second pick. How disappointed are you, given how good we saw from Scoot? I mean, you're disappointed, but you're you're fine. You're good. Like like when Banana said, if he'd never been born, Scoot's probably the number one pick. So in real life, in real, you know, you're getting the number one pick basically still. So I think you're a okay. What I like most about Scoot was watching him play. He he has the NBA body already, and I like that, especially if you're going to be a player of that size. Having an NBA size body to be able to take those bangs, uh, bruises, and take that extra bump when you're going to the uh, to the cup is a benefit. So I really like that part uh, of his game and being phys- you know physical. Like you said, the jumper is something that I didn't know. You're always worried about these younger guys, especially when they can get to the rim. How good is that jump shot consistently? I think that's the thing you always tend to find out about guys who dominate in high school is the jumper isn't as good as you think because they can get to the rim at will. So seeing that, I like that a little bit more. I wasn't, I hadn't seen him, you know, play much. I just heard that he was basically going to be, you know, a top two pick. So get him, getting to actually see him with my eyes, I was really impressed. Uh, I was impressed with the playmaking skills too. You know, I, I just, like, you know, like I said, I like him a lot. You know, he's just living in a universe with, an alien, so when that happens, you just end up being the number two pick. Absolutely, but it's going to be crazy. Like, how quick do you think tanking is going to start? Like, you think people are going to start with a bad first twenty games and just like, you know what, fuck it, let's try to go get, let's try to get win Bayana, or because we've seen it usually it's like All Star break and then teams start doing it. But do you think it'll even reach the All Star break before teams start tanking? No, it started. It's the Jazz and the Spurs so far. Like they're trying to be the worst. I don't. I, I feel like Utah's got the lead so far because they shipped off their two best players and they're trying to you know actively get rid of Bogdanovich too. Like they're trying to get rid of anybody who can put the ball in the basket. They're like, yo, can you make a shot? Okay, you can't play for us. So I think Utah has the lead for the moment, but the Spurs ain't far behind. And I think other teams of those two teams already gotten a jump on other teams but so yeah i the tankathon has already started yeah preseason tanking might be a new low for tanking <laughs> i don't think i've ever seen anything like that before um and the sake of time i want to skip the deandre aiden situation that we wanted to talk about my man looks very depressed but i think we have a lot of time throughout the season to talk about how depressed deandre aiden is not sure why you want my man on the team if he don't want to be there but i digress um i do want to talk a little bit about this whole draymond green uh and pool situation what do you think about draymond green essentially they say struck i'm assuming it's a punch i don't know i didn't see it what do you think about this whole situation what should be done with Draymond? And do you think Poole's starting to get kind of a big head because, you know, he got a ship now. He's about to get this contract. He he was probably the business benefactor of the Tyler Hero contract because he was like, oh, he got that kind of money? He looking at that Golden State like, oh, you about to pay me. So do you think he's starting to get a little too big for his britches? Uh, what's your thoughts on, on this situation? I don't know, man. I think it's something that's probably bound to happen with a player like Draymond and you know, someone like Poole's lipping off, you know, and, you know, he got a ring now. He think he about to get the bag, you know. So, you know, these things happen. I'm not – it doesn't seem like it's the biggest of deals. It was just kind of weird that it 
came out of nowhere. I mean, I guess they're on their, I think, Japan trip. I can't remember exactly what country they are, but they're overseas somewhere. And you know how that goes. You on a trip with your team. You've been together. You just been together too long. You probably like, man, I'm just sick of this dude. I'm ready to get back home and be my be my family and be away from probably everybody at this point. So, I think it was more or less something like that than anything. Um, like you said, pulled saw the hero contract and was like, shit, I can do that. I can get paid. I need to get paid. So he probably think he got a bag coming his way, especially from the Warriors. I don't even know if they can do that. They're so deep in the luxury tax. They he's probably gonna be traded, right? Like I don't even know if they could pay him and pay some more luxury tax. So we'll see. But yeah, man, I'm just gonna. Draymond is a guy that's always you know feisty. Always seems like he's ready to fight, and Poole seems like a talker. So this is probably bound to happen. I don't think it's that big of a deal. Yeah, I don't think it's that big of a deal. I mean, we see this all the time in training camp in football, right? And we just chalk chalk it up to training camp. Not sure why it's so different in the NBA. Um, well, I have theories, but we'll leave it off the podcast. But I don't really think it's that big of a deal. Um, I, Draymond probably gets suspended a game or two just to, you know, show that it won't be tolerated. Also, there's 82 games, and he's going to probably rest them anyway. So it seems like an easy way to get that done. But I do wonder, because there was a quote with Clay, and Clay was talking about humbling pool a little bit. So I wonder if he is starting to get a little chirpy. And Draymond don't seem the type that'll handle that very well. So um, he already apologized for it. I think it's going to be a nothing burger in about two, three weeks. But um, it isn't. Is I, one thing that I don't think is being talked about a lot. I just think it's funny that Draymond's kind of came out and said that you know I'm a bet on myself. And then in that same season, he's going to bet on himself. He's got a bunch of teammates. <laughs> Seems like he's off to a rocky start as far as trying to get the bag that he would like. But the end of the day, I think it'll be fine, and I think this won't. It'll be a a footnote in their season in a month, two months. All right, so we kind of buried the lead a little bit because something really big in Major League Baseball happened. I'm sure you've heard of it already. Uh, Aaron Judge hit home run 62, which broke the AL record. Um, the MLB record still stands. I know that's another controversial conversation, but I don't necessarily want to get into all of that. Um, talk to me about Aaron, Aaron Judge hitting this home run. What do you think it means for the sport? And then I have a follow-up question for you after that. Yeah, I think it's good for the sport. It's exciting to always get close to records that uh, a lot of people like and it gets talking, especially with baseball, that gets overshadowed a lot of the time. And especially for Aaron Judge, you know, he was basically a free agent this year and well, more like a restricted free agent, I guess you should say. But, uh, yeah, so he basically bet on himself and, and betting on himself broke the American League record of, you know, 61 home runs. And what better way to get paid than to do something crazy like that? So, yeah, it was it was exciting. And like you said, the home run record is 73. You know, I'll get into it a little bit. A lot of people want to say, oh, well, those – hitters were juicing well yeah we're gonna just act like pitchers weren't juicing too so they want to say the level field was unfair but it probably was more level than you think so anyway uh not even story for a different day but Aaron Judge finally hit 62 you know the big joke over like almost like a week span was they kept cutting into uh college football games and people were kind of getting upset over that I know Sean McDonough had a couple jokes about it because they were cutting into his games I know people get a little get mad when they can't talk for a couple minutes, I guess. So that was kind of funny. But, uh, you know, he eventually hit it in uh, Texas. And 
the dude who caught the ball, you know, they're talking about him now. Should he sell it? Should he give it or, you know, do this, do that? I, keep that, man. Get that as much money as you can get for that. You earned it. You paid for them tickets. You caught that ball. You, you get rewarded for it. So, yeah, man, it was definitely a good thing to have this year in baseball. Yeah, for sure. Um, so you said you're keeping the ball? You're not giving it back? I think that's the question that I'm asking. You ain't giving that ball back? Nah, that ball goes to the highest bidder. I I earned this baseball. I'm about to get paid. I'm about to chill on the beach. So when you mentioned highest bidder, how come that highest bidder is never the team? Like, why can't the team just buy it back? Because to me, it's not, it's not valuable to me. Like, it, it, as a team, like, I don't. That to me has that ball has no value to me. So I'm I don't want that. Judge, you want to buy it? Sure, baseball, you want to buy it. But me, Yankees, I don't want to buy that ball. But shouldn't Aaron Judge have value to the team? Like I mean, I don't really give a fuck about Thomas to train, but my son likes it, so I'll buy Thomas to train so that my son can play with it. it. Ain't really about what I want. It's about the fact that somebody I value values this right and aren't you going to have a contract situation coming up very shortly that you would like to win don't you think some goodwill would help with that i mean when i pay you this 400 million then you'll have enough to buy that baseball that's all i'm like i'm not paying you 410 to buy this baseball you buy that baseball when i give you this 400 million I mean, but what if somebody else offers 400 million? You know what I mean? Like, what's the differentiating factor? Because you ain't going to be the only team offering them this money. Like, I don't think that the Yankees are the only ones that are going to try to throw the bag at Aaron Judge. But, you know, if I'm mad at you because I think you're a dick and you should have paid me in the first place, and then, like, you might need to buy some goodwill. I don't know. We'll see what happens. We'll see how it goes. But it's not even just the Aaron Judge thing. I feel like there's a lot of times where we have this situation where somebody bought the ball and we're like, are they going to give it back or are they going to sell it? But the conversation is never just like, why didn't the team just buy it? Like, I've never heard that part. So, so you say, what did the team just buy? Is it like, what is a cap for a team? Like, so say the ball is up for $2 million and some wealthy billionaire comes in and is like, I'll buy it for $5 million. Like, how high should the team go to buy this ball for him, you know? So I guess my thought is that for most people, and I don't know about this Corey Humans dude, I don't know, but for most people, you're kind of like, part of you feels like maybe I should give it back. So if I get a good deal while I can also give it back, I'm probably just going to like end negotiations there, right? So like, Cause I'm thinking like if I got the ball, like part of me would feel like, you know, this is a part of history. I would like to give it back, but that's a lot of bag I'm fumbling. Right? So if the Yankees, if I'm core humans and the Yankees offer me $2 million to give them this ball back, I probably don't even listen to other offers. I probably just take my fucking 2 million. Like I, cause I kind of wanted to give it back anyway. And you're going to give me 2 million. Cool. I like my family's good. You got the ball back. I feel good about that. Right? I don't want a bat that's signed. I don't want a poster. I don't want none of that shit. <laughs> I just don't want it. But if you're going to pay me outright for this ball, even if it's less than what somebody else would pay me, I could use $2 million. I'm fine. Like, I don't need four. Like, I, I, would, I would take four. But, like, if I can do the right thing and make $2 million, like, I'll probably just do that. So I think there's some leverage that you have as the team because... I think universally we probably kind of feel that's where it belongs is with Aaron Judge, but it's like it might belong there, but 
belong in there ain't going to pay me. And I'm the one with the leverage right now because I got the ball. So I don't think you have to be the highest bid as the team, but you have to make a competitive bid. And I think you'll probably win that out. That's kind of where I, how I feel about that. Yeah. I, I don't know. I, I'm probably more on the, I'm trying to get as much as I can for this. Like, I don't want to be the guy where like I get two million and then some billionaire comes on like I gave you twenty for it and I'm now I'm crying with my money that I made but I could have made so much more so I know honestly I probably would try to get as much as possible but like you said two million if they offer to use like straight cash homie as Randy Moss would say ain't a bad deal I know they can't do it like that but you know what I mean so you know it's just what you're willing to do yeah I just think it's interesting that that never comes up as far as the team just flat out buying it. Is there a rule against it? Because they always talk about like like the, the Brady touchdown, right? When uh, Mike Evans gave it away. Like, there was never a conversation about Brady or Mike Evans or the Tampa Bay buying that ball back. Like, he gave it back and they were like, here's a signed jersey. And I'm like, okay, but that's not what that ball was worth, right? So, how come this never... Like, is it just not allowed for them to pay him for that? I don't know. That's... What if it's like lifetime tickets? Just give me something that's like I can go to the Tampa Bay game anytime I want to. Like that's got some value to it, you know. Like I don't know, but I feel like the Jersey thing—it's like that's not the same, like at all. Like you're not compensated. That's that to me feels like a slap in the face. Like I turned was down it? five million dollars if you gave me a signed Mike Evans jersey. Like oh, I, probably- I was gonna say if it was a signed Tom Brady jersey from that day, I was like, oh, that's kind of fair almost. But I don't but think it's game Mike jersey. Evans, it's just a jersey. It's not the oh. jersey he wore while doing it. <laughs> it's a jersey. So I think they gave him a Tom Brady one, but I'm like, bro, like that probably signed. For- that's probably what ten k maybe. They give him a replica, not even the pitch. <laughs> but like Reebok don't even make jerseys no more. You couldn't give me a Nike one. <laughs> so I just I don't know. I, that's just a question I've always had. But let's continue with baseball. Obviously, the playoffs are set. Walk me through the new format and who you think is going to come out of each side. All right, baseball playoffs. It's it's time. I love it. I love October because it's baseball playoffs. You you know you're what a quarter of a way through the NFL season. Uh, you got NBA preseason. It's oh, it's just a wonderful time of year. Except if you live in Alaska and it's about to snow. But anyway, um, so the playoff playoffs start tomorrow and new format this year, right? One and two seeds get buys on each side. Big deal, big deal. And if you're saying, well, you know, there's buys in the sport, why is that a big deal? Well, I mean. It's a big deal in football, right? You get that extra rest. You get to kind of prepare for your opponent. You know, you got that extra time. And in the baseball, you get to set up your pitching staff. Now, if you're one of these teams that has to play in the wild card series, you're having to throw out your first two guys in these first two games. And even if you win your series, who knows what your starters and bullpen is looking like. And you now play an arrested team that's set up and got their bullpen rested and got their pitching staff going the way they want to go. So, it's definitely a big advantage for uh, the one and two seeds on each side to uh, advance and get to the ALCS or even the World Series. And that's why this year I do believe that for the most part, those will be the four teams that will make it to the AL and NLCS. And that would be on the AL side, the Yankees and the Astros. And in that matchup, I just think the Astros pitching is going to prevail. I do like the Yankees. I think they're a good team, but 
I don't like their bullpen. Their bullpen can't let them down. And they're a swing and miss team still. Now they did get uh, Harrison Bader back, who is, who's been really good and helped out. Uh, Stanton has come back and has played pretty good. So they've gotten Aaron Hicks out of there, which was a concern. He was just all messed up in the head towards the end. So I think that that's going to be a good matchup for the Astros still with the pitching set that they had, especially with Verlander, uh, Fromber Valdez, uh, Lance McCullers, and even if they don't even know yet who's going to be really their fourth star who I think they're probably going to go with Javier just because, I mean, even earlier this year, he no-hit the Yankees for seven innings. So, I mean, that's pretty daunting staff to go against that's going to be uh, for the Yankees. So I have them getting onto the World Series. And from the NL side, I like the Braves. I just think this Braves team has something to kind of prove still, which is weird to say from a team that won the year before, but their pitching staff has gotten better. They didn't have Acuna last year. That is a major factor that I felt like nobody was ever really talking about uh, with this Braves team. And I just don't think this Dodgers team is as good as everybody. I don't even think people really even think this time. I think they're one of those teams that's just really good during the season. I think they beat up on bad teams, and they beat good teams too. But I think when the competition really gets ratcheted up, I think and when the left, you know, when they're playing good team, I just don't think they're actually as good as they are during the regular season when they just get to beat up on a lot of bad teams. So I think the Braves get through, and I think we get a rematch in the World Series, which I haven't even looked it up yet, but I can't remember if there was the last time there was a rematch in the World Series. I'm guessing it's probably the 90s if I had to guess. Maybe mid-20s uh, with maybe like the Yankees and somebody on the NL side. But uh, I got a rematch of last year with the Braves and the Astros, and – I haven't decided who I'm going to pick when these teams match up yet. I, I don't want to be a homer and just go with my team. I want to actually really look at both these teams. So when we get closer to that, I'll make my prediction if that's what it becomes to. But I just think these are the two best teams on each side. And I think in a weird way, they both have something to prove. The Braves prove, want to prove that they, I guess, been disrespected all year with you know the Mets' love and the Dodgers' love and them not really kind of being fully healthy. And I think the Astros have something to prove because they weren't a full, complete team last year. I mean, they made it to the World Series and won games without somebody who's probably going to win the AL Cy Young and then Lance McCullers, who got them through the White Sox. So you're talking about your two best pitchers not being able to pitch in the World Series. That matters. So I think these are just the two best teams, and they both got something to prove. And I think it's going to be a great playoffs regardless, but I think that's how it's going to shake down in the end. All right, I like it. There you have it. I don't have a lot of comment because I mean, even though I did win our baseball fantasy league, I would say that was probably flukish. I'm not sure how I did that. I just woke up one day and I was like, oh, shit, I'm in the championship. Let's go ahead and win this real quick. So um, I think I'm going to leave the baseball analysis to you, um, even though you didn't make the playoffs in that same league. Anyway, um, I appreciate the insight. And so uh, let's let's see what happens in the playoffs. I'm actually excited one year for, for playoff baseball. I don't generally get all that excited, but here I am excited. <laughs> Was that a um, Paul Rudd meme? It's like, who'd have thought we'd be here? Not me, or something like that. Like that's how I feel. Like I, I wouldn't have imagined that. Um, so let's go ahead and bring it home. And in honor of Wimbayana and Scoot, um, you know, there's going to be a lot of tanking going on. We're probably going to start seeing in the NFL a little bit as well because you know we have some pretty 
good quarterback prospects coming out. So I'm just going to ask a point blank period question. Um, would you support it if your team decided to tank for a better draft pick? I think if you listen to this podcast, I think you guys know our answers, but we're going to answer the question anyway. Yeah, I mean, you know my answers. My Two of my favorite teams have done it, and it's worked out for the most part. So I'm all about the team tank. I just believe that if you truly want to get good, then you have to get a general, you know, a, try to get a generational type of player or a really good player. And the only way you get that for the most part is at the top of the draft. Like, yeah, every now and again, there's some second round picks and drafts or, you know, whatever sport, deeper picks that end up being great. But for the most part, you have to have somebody at the top and that requires being very bad. And I, you know, I feel like teams struggle with it because they feel like their fan base is, you know, will leave them or won't approve of it. But if the end result is being bad for a couple of years to be, you know, having the future of being really good for a long period of time, then you go for that. So I believe in tank. And I think if your end goal is to try to be really, really good again, that's just the route you have to go in my opinion. Yeah, for sure. I've been calling for my team to tank for a while now. Uh, I just only wish tanking worked in college football because my only team that is tanking is my Virginia Tech Hokies, but it doesn't really work that way in college. But I really wish that, the Falcons would tank. You said, I got to believe in my team. Part of what I would believe then is the fact that they need to tank, and that's why I picked the Browns. I think I just try to try to speak it into existence. Uh, they look pretty solid this year. I'm not going to lie. They're better than I thought they would be, but that's probably a negative thing because for us to get um, where I want them to be, they need to. They can't be 8-8, eight and eight, or I guess you can't be 8-8 eight and because there's 17 games now, but you can't be 8-9 and nine or 9-8. Nine and eight. You got to be worse than that, so... Tanking to me is a necessary evil. Obviously, there's a lot of people that feel some type of way about it, and I understand that. But under the circumstances that we live in, the best way for you to get very good is to get Hall of Fame level talent. And having the first crack at the guy that's going to be Hall of Fame level is your best chance to get the guy that is Hall of Fame level. So it's very simple for me. I would absolutely support it if my team tanked. In fact, I am encouraging it and endorsing it and trying to will it to happen so that maybe one day I can be looking at the Falcons in the Super Bowl again. Uh, I didn't like it the last time, so I need to get that taste out of my mouth. But, I mean, at the end of the day, I don't really get a lot of enjoyment about my team being mediocre. doesn't really do anything for me. So whether they're mediocre or they're terrible, it's kind of the same thing for me. So... I want to see them good. The best way to do that is to get the best players. So that's where I'm at. So again, we'll say it. We keep saying it. We're saying it. We're going to put it on social media. It's going to happen one of these days. If I keep, if I keep saying this one day, I'm going to be telling the truth. Um, so that's our show for this week. I appreciate you guys listening. Um, Again, we've got another the sports is warming up. We get, as the temperature cools down, we got a lot of things going on. NBA, uh, baseball playoffs, NFL, college football. It's all, it's a great time of year for sports, so enjoy all of that, and we'll be back next week to talk to you about the latest goings on. We'll holla. Thanks for listening to the Media Timeout Podcast. Mahomes looking to flip, takes it in for the touchdown. Be sure to follow us on Twitter at MTO Sports, on Instagram at Media Timeout Sports, and visit our website, MediaTimeoutSports.com, for more content.